morning, everyone. Another one of those rainy mornings. I think I asked the last time I was off here if people had had to swim here, and then today it's raining again. I'm not sure if that's my fault. Okay. Give me a moment and I'll get set up. Okay, so if I can have my first slide, please. Good morning. And to those online, it's a great pleasure and honor to be here at the beginning of the Advent season. It's the first Sunday in the Advent season. And last week, uh, Pete spoke, uh, brought to an end the series we've been doing on portraits. And if you weren't here and haven't listened to that, can I advise you to go and listen to it? Wasn't it good? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Please go and listen. It was just such a great one to end that series. And I, I don't know about you, but I just loved all the different perspectives that we heard. But as we come to the beginning of Advent, we get to switch just a little bit and begin to think about the next few weeks. And so before I start talking, I just want to pray for a moment. And can I ask you to just close your eyes? And Father, we just thank you so much the opportunity to share your word. May we never take it for granted as we hear of countries across the world. We're just doing what we get to do together today. is life-threatening. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings life. It speaks life. It is life. And Lord, will you just fill us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I love words. Oh, that's can I have the next slide, please? Right. So I love words and their meaning. And as I began to prepare for this, I realized that I probably wasn't as sure just because of my faith roots what the word Advent meant. And so I thought I'd go look in the dictionary. And I found this definition. So if I can have the first slide. Ah, there we go. Oh, I can actually see it over there. And it says, for believers, Advent represents a multifaceted period during which to prepare for the birth of Christ celebrate faith in and conversion to Christianity, and anticipate the eventual resurrection of the Son of God. Did everybody else know what that meant? Or was it just me? Now, see, I kind of always thought it was just about the birth of Christ, so it was quite interesting to know that actually there's other things that are built into that. And it's not just about the birth, but it's also that opportunity to reflect on the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, on the fact that we're Christians, and also the promise of his return. So we get to talk about the fact that he came as a baby, but we get to celebrate and think about the fact that he will come back. And we must never forget, I think, as Christians, that Christmas reminds us that there's something so much bigger and that we are a people of promise. Now, I also discovered, and again, I'm sorry for those who, sh who knew this, but I didn't, uh, that there are four candles of Advent. Did you know that? I'm hoping most, yeah, am I the only one? Yes, okay, right. All right. I mean, some said five, I have to say, and then there were those that went six or seven, but I went through four. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> there's a lot you find on Google. But I just liked the source that actually those who seemed to be the majority spoke of each one, and what was in common was that actually the first candle of Advent represents hope. And we spoke about hope today. We've already spoken about hope. And they represent the gifts that Jesus gave us and still gives us. And I love this because it put into context what I felt I had been asked to talk about today. 
And so as I speak about this and take us through the next few moments, I hope you'll keep that, that definition at the front of your mind, that actually this first Sunday is about hope. Not just hope for the birth of Christ, but hope in the relationship we have in Christ and hope for the Christ that is to come. And from the moment I knew I was going to do this, and Peter sort of said to me, just do anything uh, from the Christmas story, there was just one scripture that wouldn't leave my mind. It was a bit like God has sort of put a stamp in my head, and I just couldn't get it out. And it's actually this beautiful promise of Christ's birth from Isaiah 9. And if I can have the next slide, I'm just going to read this one to you. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Some translations say, we'll see a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. And this is a beautiful part. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I think the beautiful thing about this was this was written almost seven, over 700 years before Jesus was born, which is just amazing, isn't it? I mean, we could spend the whole morning just reflecting on that passage alone, especially the words I've underlined, that unto us a child is born, because this is the promise of the precious gift of Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, and I particularly like the fact that his government will never end. And that's something that I think more recently we probably need to focus on at a time when governments have been going past revolving doors um, in a very quick way. But you see, our king is the same today as he is tomorrow, as he was even then. And for the people listening to this at the time of Isaiah, these were tough times. If you were here last week, Pete spoke briefly about the Assyrian Empire and how cruel and how awful they were. And that empire was beginning to rise right on Israel's border. Some of the tribes had gone into exile. There were those who were called the remnants who had stayed around. But Israel was in a pretty bad place and the people were in a bad place. And they weren't to see the fulfillment of this prophecy for another 700 years. But we live in the time of hope. We knew that the prophecy, we know that it came to be. And just as God spoke it, that word would come to be. The people had turned away from God. And actually, if you read the chapter before, it was a time when people were consulting mediums and spiritualists and trying to figure out what was actually going on in the world. And God says to them, stop doing that. Because actually, those people who do that, those people who rely on anything else apart from me, will be in darkness. They will walk in darkness. And actually, that darkness is described as a grim darkness. But then it goes on to say in the next chapter, but those who walk in darkness will see a great, great light. Amen. 
And that's why I think the candle of hope that we get to light today is so important. Because we are the people who were walking in darkness. We are the people who were called out. And in 1 Peter 2.9, and if I can have the next slide, Peter reminds us that we are chosen people who have been called out of the darkness into the light. Peter says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession. Once we were not a people, but we have been called out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And that light is Jesus Christ. And when each and every one of us accepted him, we got a portion of that light. I love John 1. John says, and if I can have the next slide, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's the promise of Advent, the light of the world. And because of that, to all who did receive him, to all who believed in him, we become children of God. And then in John 8, 12, Jesus himself talks about himself as a light. And he says, once more, if I can have the next slide, Jesus addressed the crowd and he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I love what the message version says on the next slide. It says, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. Isn't that beautiful? I think this is a really important one that actually when we keep trusting in God, we have the light of the world. And this is the thing because, you see, when we come together here on a Sunday and we talk about the light and we lift our hands in worship, it's easy to remember that. But then when we go out on Monday and there's sickness and there's death and there's unemployment and there are bills that aren't going to be paid and there's doubt and there's gloom and all of those things that bring darkness into our lives, it's so easy to forget that we're people who have been called out of the light, that we're people who were in darkness and we have seen and we have this great light. And I love the words that actually say that when we have this light, we will not stumble. Because I don't know about you, when that darkness comes in and we're worrying about the bills and the fear, the anxiety, it feels like we're stumbling. But we have a promise that says we won't. And so this week, it's about us remembering and over the weeks to come that we have been given that light and that we're chosen people. And yet the theme of light does not stop there. While we can focus on the light that we have, that's we're required to go further. I want to remind you about what Nikki told us a few weeks ago when she and Pete presented the vision for the future. And she challenged us to step in, to step up, and to step out. I always get that in the different order every time I say it, but all three are in there. (laughs) And as I thought about Advent, about this wonderful light that we've been given, I realized that this light is not just for us. 
It's not just for us to keep to light up our circumstances. It's not just for us to carry around. And indeed, in message, and if I can have the next slide, Jesus says this. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. Don't we just love that sentence? Bring out the God colors. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God and this generous Father in heaven. And so while it's a season to be grateful that we have Christ, a season to be grateful that we are people of the light, we're being asked to go further than that. We're being asked to bring that light to others, to light the candles of our neighbors, our friends, our communities, to be that light that people walking in darkness see. Indeed, the whole world, that's the commandment that Jesus gives his disciples at the end of Matthew, and it's still the commandment that we live with. But it's actually, we're still being asked to be the light to people who walk in darkness. I love the story of the shepherds sitting on the cold mountaintops. And it's a really interesting story because there are a lot of nuances in that that we don't often pick up. If we read the passage, we see that actually everybody had been called to a census and everybody had been asked to return to their families and their homes. So most people were with their families, celebrating the first Christmas even though they didn't know it at the time. But these shepherds were on the hill, on the mountaintop. There would have been no light. They were probably the lowest of those communities. It would have been pitch dark on that mountaintop. And suddenly this light appears. And this host of angels, of all the people that they could have chosen to speak to, of all the places that they could have appeared, they appeared to the people in the greatest darkness that night. And that is what I believe we are asked to do. Passing on that gift to others. You see, the world would have us worry right now about the gifts that we can and cannot buy for people this Christmas. It's amazing that actually, I don't know if you watched a report recently um, on Black Friday, interesting name, but um, one of the things that was spoken about was the fact that this year, many people were out there shopping on Black Friday, but actually the most people were doing it on credit. We're actually entering into agreements to buy now and pay later. Because there's this unbelievable pressure on us at Christmas time that Christmas is all about giving these expensive gifts to our children, to the people we love. But actually, you see, this is the thing. As Christians, we've got these gifts that money can't buy. We've got these things to pass on to people that we don't get to buy in shops and we don't have to enter into credit agreements to get. We have these amazing gifts that last forever, not just for Christmas Day. They don't just get thrown under the tree. And this light, this t every time we light someone else's light. I've spoken before about growing up in a country where often the lights would suddenly go off. Or as we say in Nigeria, for any fellow Nigerians, Nepal would seize the light. And whatever you were doing, you'd suddenly be plunged into complete darkness. It's an interesting thing when you've got your eyes wide open and suddenly you can't see your hand in front of you. 
Especially when you weren't expecting it to happen, like somewhere in the middle of the World Cup final or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think they had a sense of humor. But one thing I do remember, though, is that in that darkness, and if you've ever been in that complete darkness and you light just one match, just one match, suddenly the darkness lifts. And you may not be able to see as far as you want to, but the power of one match in complete darkness is pretty amazing. And it would flicker, and in those days, you'd sort of run around, and if you had a torch or a candle, you'd light that match first, and then you'd find a torch, and then you'd go put on the generator, if you had one. And then light would flood the house again. And I think that's what happens when we take our little light, because it's so easy to think, you know what, I haven't got much to give. But just one match, one match, can make the darkness go away temporarily. And I think it's just the same, because if we're prepared to light that one match, to light someone else's candle, then you know what happens? Jesus comes in with a generator. He comes in behind that one match, and his light floods through the darkness. And the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. That word is not just for 700, 2,000 years ago. It's for today. And the responsibility is on us to be that light. And so I want to spend some of the rest of my time just looking at some of the other gifts we've been given that come with the advent of Christmas. Remember that it's a time to reflect on our relationship, to reflect on the gifts that we've been given, but also the gifts that we have to give others. And I think if we begin to think about that, and not allow ourselves to be drawn where the world wants us to draw in. How many expensive gifts can we buy? And various other things. I'm not suggesting parents on Christmas Day you just give your child a kiss and go, <laughs> yeah, that may not go down well. But there are lessons that we can teach them and we have to teach them about what's important. And those are, sim those are really expensive gifts. And it may just be, you heard Amy and, and Steve, I think it was, talking about the, the things that we want to give as a church. A bar of chocolates, a pair of socks, something to bring joy into others, toiletries for a woman in a refuge, a visit to someone who's alone this Christmas, an invitation to someone to share dinner. What can you give this Christmas that comes straight from the throne room of grace? What have you been given? And so let's look at some of those gifts one at a time. And the first one is love. We've been given love. And actually it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved you that he gave his child for you, his only son. Just so that if you believed in him, you would have access to eternal life. That's how much he loves you. And so I wonder, how much love could we give this Christmas? How much could we give? In 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us what it means to even try and love like God. And he says, and if I can have the next slide, love never gives up. Love cares for others more than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, 
doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. Is there someone that you could give the gift of love to this Advent? Someone you could choose to be more patient with? That uncle or auntie that always turns up for Christmas that drives you completely around the bend? Is there a hurt that you need to let go of this Christmas? Is there someone you need to reach out to you haven't spoken to for a while who needs to be forgiven and who you might just find out that if you reach out to them that they're going through an absolutely awful time and that you can pray with them and you can bring them some comfort? Is there some love? Is there a relationship that you've given up on? A relationship that maybe you need to step back into, not an abusive one for any sake, but, but just someone who you need to forgive and invite to dinner this Christmas. And do it not because you feel you want to, but because you know God would want you to. Because he first loved you, and that's why we love him. And the next one is grace, if I can have the next slide. And the dictionary defines grace as a spontaneous and unmerited, undeserved gift of God's divine favor and salvation. It means he gives us what we don't deserve and we cannot earn. And actually, this is very counter-Christmas, isn't it? Well, counter-Christmas of the world. Because I realized as I wrote this that there's actually a thing about Christmas, and I had my little nephew around yesterday, and actually I did say this to him. Because the whole premise of Christmas is based on whether we've been naughty or nice. Yeah. We teach our children this, don't we? Well, how good have you been? Mm. Santa wants to know. Yeah. Mm. And then recently, because we've inherited it from America and Canada, there's the elf. Anybody got an elf in their house? Yeah, huh? Who appears in the house and watches the children to see if they've been behaving themselves and sends letters back to Santa. Yeah. And so I was thinking about this and just seeing if God told us that he was going to appoint an angel to follow us around for four weeks leading up to the birth of Christ and report back to him on whether we'd been naughty or nice. Yeah. Mm. I don't know about you, but I worked out that I wouldn't be getting any gifts at Christmas. Because, you see, grace is undeserved. Grace isn't about whether we've been naughty or nice. Grace isn't about whether we deserve. I mean, come on. Who deserves God putting himself into vulnerable baby form, walking with us on earth, allowing himself to be beaten to death, crucified in the most humiliating way possible, actually descending into complete and total sin, taking on our sin and shame, the very Godhead for that moment being separated, just so that today we could say the name of Jesus. You want to put your hand up if you deserve that? We don't get, God doesn't ask us if we're naughty or nice. He just says, whatever you do, I'll forgive you. Could we give that? Could we give grace? Could we be more patient with the people who've offended us? 
Could we decide who we invite to Christmas or who we give gifts to, not just based on whether we think they deserve it and how big their gift was to us last year, but actually just because we want to give them grace, because we have been given grace. And then there's freedom from condemnation. If I can have the next slide. And Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no judgment, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. For the law of the spirit of life, which is Christ Jesus, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now this is one that we find very hard to pass on as Christians, don't we? Oh, how we love to condemn and how we love to judge. And actually, sometimes how we're the worst working, walking example for Christianity. But this time, as we concentrate on Advent, could we step up, step out? Could we be those people who reach out to the people whose lifestyles we don't agree with and share with them the joy of Christmas? Could we be the ones who step back from judging, who step back from condemning others and allow people to experience the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ? Could we be those people? And then there's peace. And he is the prince of peace. And Jesus tells his disciples, and if I can have the one of peace, he says, peace, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives it to I do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength. Sorry, I've just lost my slide. There we go. And give you courage and strength for every challenge. He is a prince of peace. And he has given us his peace. Not as the world gives it. It's not a peace that comes from knowing that we can afford all the Christmas presents we want. It's not even a peace from knowing that we'll have a job by January. It's not a peace that rests in the material things of the world. It's a peace that comes from knowing that however big our issues are, his, he is bigger. It's a peace from, that comes from knowing that he's faithful. It's a peace that comes from knowing that he's got us. A great writer said that peace is not the absence of war but is actually the presence of a heart that believes. And that's the kind of peace. So could we be peacemakers and peace givers? Can we be the people who speak life when other people are speaking death? I mean, you only have to listen to the news at the moment and your blood pressure starts going, because there's so much bad news. And it's creating something in communities that we're speaking death. And I love it that when, we first, when I first entered this church and got to do the DNA, and if you're new to the church and you haven't done it, then please do it. Because one of the most powerful moments I heard was when I was told that in this church, we speak life. It's built into our DNA. So it means when other people are getting together and saying how terrible things are and talking about other people, when they're tearing people down, we lift people up. When people are speaking words of doom and gloom, we say, listen, there's something bigger. 
When people are speaking words of hate, we speak love. I was looking at that slide up there as we began to pray for the migrants in Doha, in Qatar, sorry. And it's so easy to hear what happens to migrants in Qatar and go, isn't that awful? But do you know that last week a migrant in this country died from diphtheria? A disease that hasn't been seen in this country for a long time? Because of the cramped conditions they were being kept in. Oh, we don't treat migrants well in this country. And we'll get together and we'll talk about it and the papers tell us why, they, why we have a reason to do that. But hey church, let's be people who speak life. Let's be people who remind people of love. Let's be people who speak a better truth. And let's be people who are peace bringers, peacemakers, and who are bearers of peace, who are light bearers. This morning, my dear friend Mary, I'm not sure if she's here today, she probably isn't, she sent me this beautiful picture and it felt like a really good place to end today. And it's a prayer, and if I can have the last slide, please, for the first Sunday of Advent. And it says, God of light and life, give us hope as we wait for your coming again. When we're tempted to be grateful to have found you while others are lost, send us out into the darkness in search of those who need you most. And I thought that was just such a beautiful prayer. In Isaiah, the scripture says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And it says that those who are living in the land of dark, deep darkness, a light has dawned. That was written nearly 3,000 years ago. But there's still people walking in darkness. There's still shepherds on the hills. And each and every one of us has a light. And if we all took that light out there, and just lit one other person's candle. Just one. Just one. And it doesn't have to be a big light. Because you know what? He is still the greatest light of all. And he will follow you in. And he will flood their darkness with light. I love that St. Ignatius said, I think he said it. Preach the gospel. But only when necessary do it with words. This isn't about going around to people and bashing them on the head with the Bible. This is about loving as God has loved us and demonstrating why Christmas is so, so important. It's because it's the people, it's about the people of promise. It's about a promise that was fulfilled. It's about the promises that will always be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as we each step out from here, we know that we have a light, that we have your light inside each and every one of us. And as the song says, Lord, this little light of ours, help us to make it shine in the darkness, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, Lord. Wherever we go, let us be bearers of your light. And as we consider the next four weeks up to the Christmas time, let us remember that we're kingdom people, kingdom citizens. Not called to worry so much about the material things, even though those are real challenges for people. But to lift our eyes higher and to keep them on the God who promised that the people in darkness will see a great light. 
and who fulfilled that promise. And that same God who will light up all our darknesses today, who will be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path wherever we go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.